Welcome to season four of the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. I'm Ashley Miltite. On this season, we're taking a look at the future. We're looking at how the things you do every day will be different 10, 20, 50 years from now. How will you pay for your groceries? Where will you buy your clothes? What will your food taste like? To answer these questions, we're going to the places where the future is already happening. This season, our trip to the future will take us all over the globe, from the US to Sweden, from Japan to Tanzania, because the future is already happening somewhere. It's just a matter of knowing where to find it. We're in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, and these are the sounds of a morning commute. But it didn't always sound this way. What you're hearing is the Dar es Salaam Bus Rapid Transit System, or DART for short. It's a new bus system launched in 2016. And even though it might sound like a regular old bus, it's not. It's actually a little slice of the future. Mambo. This is Stephen Mumbi, a journalist in Dar es Salaam, who asked a few passengers why they use DART for their morning commute starting with the youngest passenger. This is Samir, and he's telling Stephen that he takes the bus at 6 a.m. every day to get to school. 6 a.m. is early, but not as early as Samir once had to leave to make it to school on time riding a Daladala, or private minibus. Now, Samir gets to sleep in a few more hours because... Dart is much faster. When we think about the future of transportation, we tend to talk about autonomous cars and apps that will send a ride right to our doorstep. But as exciting as the future might be, in 2030, most of us will still need mass transit. And we'll need it to get us to work or school or wherever we're going quickly, reliably, and at a low price. This future with high-speed, affordable, and reliable public transit might feel far away, even unachievable. But the future of mass transit is already happening in Dar es Salaam. Today on the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast, the future of your commute. Before DART, Dar es Salaam had the problem so many big cities have, a growing population. An expanding population of 5 million meant more cars on the road, and that meant terrible traffic. I don't mean moving slowly down the road for an extra 15 minutes. I mean four hours a day sitting completely still in a packed street just to make it a handful of miles. It was a problem. The city government realised it had to make a change, and so DART was born. I tend to believe even people who used to use private cars can now choose to use the, the bus, uh, the buses, the bus rapid transit because it's faster, you don't have to stay in the traffic jam. This is Njeri Mburu, the Transport Planning Manager at the Institute for Transportation and Development Policy, an international non-profit with offices all over the world. Njeri is based in Nairobi, where she thinks about the future of transportation for major African cities like Dar es Salaam. In fact, uh, uh, a journey which used to take about two hours is now taking about uh, 45 minutes. So uh, that's a saving of uh, well over an hour for 200,000 people two times per day. 
Before DART, most people in Dar es Salaam got around in privately owned minibuses that clogged the streets, forced passengers to pile in one on top of another, and weren't reliable. But now, the city streets have completely changed to make way for the DART system. It has high-capacity buses, which are running on dedicated buslets. And we have uh, stations in the middle of the road uh, to reduce uh, conflict with uh, vehicles in the mixed traffic. And these bus lanes have had a real snowball effect that goes way beyond the buses. There are new paths for bikes. There are greenways for foot traffic. Even the stations themselves are designed to get those 200,000 passengers in and out quickly. All they have to do is tap their smart card to pay the fare, and they're on their way. The buses are frequent, they are reliable, they are clean, and they are also user-friendly. It's one of the best uh, in Africa today. And not only in Africa. In many ways, DART is the model of transportation needed all over the world. I know, it's a bus. It doesn't sound nearly as exciting as getting to work with the jetpack you might have in your vision of the future. But think about it. This is public transportation that's fast. Imagine cutting your commute time by more than half. It's environmentally friendly. It's technologically advanced. And when all phases of the project are complete, it will connect every part of the city. Add all that up and you have a more successful public transit system than you'll find in most parts of the world. And you have happy commuters. Here's our journalist on the bus in Dar es Salaam again. Danny, another passenger, says he loves DART because of the reduced commute times, the ease of boarding and the safe ride. But most of all, now that he spends less time on the bus, that means he's making more money. The reason we think it's so important for cities to improve transit is not because we like transit, but because improving transit is a path towards cities that are more economically prosperous. We have to talk about transit as a means to the different ends that it produces for cities. That's Stephen Higashide. I'm the director of research for Transit Center, which is a New York-based foundation working to improve public transit in American cities. Stephen spends a lot of time thinking about what has to happen to make public transit in the United States look more like the future we're seeing in Tanzania. The U.S. seems like a country that would have great or at least adequate public transit systems in all major cities. But the reality is, it doesn't. Unlike other Western countries, the United States doesn't have a great track record of prioritizing public transit. But Stephen believes it should because a future with that kind of thriving public transportation is the key to a thriving economy. I think one of the really compelling ways to talk about transit is talking about the increased access that it represents. You can really even argue that public transit is freedom. And one of the things that we've seen in campaigns around the country are incredible statistics about the number of jobs, for example, that you can get to in half an hour on transit today versus what it might be if we had a better transit system. It's really sort of a, a diagram of possibility. How many jobs can you get to? How many places could you go? How many people can you meet? That's really what transit enables. The future of transportation isn't just about the future of cars or trains or buses. It's about the future of the economy. So improving public transit for the future should be a priority for cities everywhere, right? 
But transportation projects are not easy. There are more than a few barriers standing between us and the idyllic future transit system. For one, politics. In Dar es Salaam, DART was successful in part because it was supported by the local government. The mayor himself spearheaded the change, saw a need in the city and addressed it. But in the US, it's sometimes a little less clear whose job it is to map the future of public transit. One of the common things that we often hear from the mayor of a city is the sense that, oh, transit is run by some other agency. You know, it might be a regional authority. It might be run by the state. And yet so much of what we know makes transit work, such as can you walk to it? Does it have space on the street? That's controlled by the city. In the U.S., the government already spends $65 billion a year on public transit. So if the government is spending that much money, you might think the majority of people would, one, use public transit, and two, care about it. But actually, only 25% of the population in the U.S. uses public transit to get to work. Most people would rather take their own car to get from point A to point B. And the bigger problem? The majority of the country doesn't even have access to public transit. In the U.S., public transit is really built to serve urban areas, and that leaves people who live in more rural parts in the lurch. But even for people who do live in big cities, public transit can often be inaccessible. So whose job is it to fix that? The federal government? State? Local? Transit agencies? This not-my-problem attitude that Stephen described is partly responsible for transportation barrier number two, infrastructure. So you do have this dynamic where because there's not one entity responsible for all of this, the individual entities will sort of deal with problems as, as they pop up, but it allows for the whole system to kind of decay overall. This is Michael Zizis. He leads public policy and municipal research for Morgan Stanley. And he says when you're thinking about the future of public transit, the state of U.S. infrastructure can be a big problem. People would generally agree that the state of infrastructure in the U.S. is is pretty poor, particularly around roads and bridges and transportation. There's about $420 billion repair backlog on roads right now. And there's $836 billion worth of roads and bridges capital needs. And that's against a backdrop where we project that Vehicle miles traveled in this country are going to increase about 70% by 2040 from about $3 trillion to $5 trillion. It's hard to imagine a shining new future when the roads of the present are all but crumbling. The path to the future has been easier in places where new transportation projects get to start with a blank slate. Before DART, there wasn't a lot of existing transportation infrastructure in Dar es Salaam. It was a lot easier to draw new bus lanes where they had never existed rather than fit them into a flawed system. And that's the problem a lot of U.S. cities are confronting. How do you improve public transportation without scrapping the system? Mass transit advocates sometimes will talk about Houston or Los Angeles, and they'll think it's crazy that these communities are not investing in mass transit, but they've grown so large without them and so spread out without them. Retrofitting for mass transit is also really, really expensive. You, you can use roads for multiple things, and it's a lot cheaper to build a road than it is to dig a tunnel or put uh, a piece of rail on the ground. You know, th this is where some of the, the new technologies, particularly around um, autonomous and self-driving cars and, and ride-sharing apps, can really you know, create kind of a, a, a harmonious 
um, and sort of cost-efficient approach that gives you the best of both worlds. According to Michael, there's one obvious way to bypass the hurdles of politics and infrastructure, and that's to expand our idea of what public transportation is. He says we have to start imagining how the road to the future of public transit might be paved by private companies. New technologies like self-driving cars and ride-sharing apps, they could make the future of public transit a lot cheaper. Right now, to pay for one of your citizens to ride one mile on mass transit, it's about 80 cents per mile. To pay for someone to ride in autonomous vehicle, you know, X years down the line, the estimate is that's going to cost about 20 cents. So you could, you could look at those two things and say, well, if I'm, you know, city ABC and I don't have a mass transit system, um, maybe I shouldn't have any type of mass transit system and just pay for people to ride in, you know, self-driving shared cars. So maybe the future of transportation will be shaped by the private sector. Maybe there won't be such a harsh line between the public and private transportation of the future. After all, the private sector is already more than self-driving cars and ride-sharing apps. Bike-sharing has the best of both worlds. It has the investment of the private sector paired with use of city streets and public space. So it can really complement other modes that are available through cities, but without cities having to fund the development of this mode. This is Sarah Kaufman. She's the associate director at NYU's Rudin Center for Transportation. She's been tracking the way technology has transformed mass transit in some of the biggest cities in the world. And she says there's one thing that has helped revolutionize the way we commute. The biggest change in transportation in terms of tech is the smartphone, which really changes how we get around cities. What's come after that are the shared modes enabled by smartphones like scooters and bikes. Even if you haven't biked across town or scooted your way to a friend's house, you've probably seen these shared modes in action. To use one of these e-bikes or e-scooters for your commute, all you have to do is download the company app, open the app to locate a scooter or bike near you, pick it up, unlock it with your personalized code, and you're ready to ride. They're electric, which makes them easier to ride, and they're not tied to any specific location or dock, so they can go anywhere you do. In the Bay Area, there are tons of scooters and bikes propped up against buildings, laying on the sidewalk, everywhere, just waiting for someone to ride them. So our producers, Max and Jenna, decided to take an e-bike for a spin. It's 8.30 p.m. in Palo Alto, California. What was that sound? Oh, the, it was unlocking. And now you're just going to get on this bike yeah. and drive away? Yeah, here I go. Hey, it's working. See ya. <laughs> I can't believe you just got a bike. It's just lying on the sidewalk. I know, right in the middle of the sidewalk. Bikes and scooters are not just a last mile option because in denser cities, when you're traveling between, say, one and three miles, that's often the entirety of your trip. San Francisco found that the average scooter trip is between a mile and a mile and a half. And in cities, especially San Francisco, that are very dense, there is a lot to be said for accounting for that length of travel. Because e-bikes and e-scooters are so user-friendly, accessible and portable, they can solve different types of transportation problems. 
In San Francisco, a city of winding streets and steep hills, that extra boost from either a pedal-assist e-bike or an electric scooter can get you up those inclines without working up a sweat. And then think about the infrastructure problem in cities like Houston or Los Angeles that Michael described earlier. Because dockless e-bikes and e-scooters aren't tied to any infrastructure, they can more easily adapt to the needs of a city and work alongside whatever public transit is already there. Take Denver, for example. It's a growing city with a limited public transit network. But after introducing e-scooters to the city... In Denver, they are requiring some scooters to be placed at the transit stations to help encourage people to take transit and then take the scooters home. And about a quarter of people who were using scooters during this pilot period had traded in a car trip for using a scooter instead. And I think that what we saw in Denver can be similar for other similarly sized cities around the country. Scooter and bike shares can adapt to the needs of a city, filling whatever gaps are left by public transit. And as we're moving further into the future of transportation, cities are realizing that multiple shared modes can work together to create an ideal, customized transit system. Every city should have a variety of modes so that people can take the trip that is right for them. About 80% of Americans live in some city and take shorter trips, many shorter trips throughout the day. So cities need to be able to provide the right transportation for the right type of trip. You might take a bike to the gym, but then at the gym, you work out really hard and you don't want to take a bike home because you're too tired. So instead, you can take a rideshare home from the gym. It's this ecosystem that operates together. Hybrid transportation networks are moving the conversation about the future of transportation away from the opposite ends of the spectrum, public versus private, and into a murkier middle ground. And as more new shared transportation options pop up around the country, we might see the decision makers behind traditional public transportation taking a few notes from the startup world. Take bus lanes. What if cities thought about new bus lanes the way a startup would? Uh, One term from the world of startups that I think uh, is important for transit agencies is this concept of the minimum viable product. And when you think about something like a pop-up bus lane, that's really the minimum viable product. It's just a lane with some cones. And you know that if that becomes a permanent project, that there are concrete capital things that you'll want to do. You'll want to put some concrete in the street to to bulb out the sidewalk so that there's more room for people waiting. You'll want to paint the bus lane. You'll want to have signage. You might want to change the traffic controllers at the intersection. But in the short term, you just put some cones on the street, and that's the minimum viable product. Public transit projects take a long time, eight to 10 years in most major U.S. cities. But what if it didn't have to be that way? If public transportation planners start copying from the private sector's playbook, the future of transportation could start coming much more quickly. And according to Michael Zizas, that future might mean even more melding of private and public transportation. Most of the time, when we think about self-driving cars and public transportation, we think of them as opposite ends of a transportation spectrum. We even think of them as mortal enemies. So if the future is full of autonomous vehicles summoned by our smartphones, then we won't need public transit anymore. But 
that doesn't make sense because you create a traffic problem. But what you can do is you can help people get to their sort of main mass transit area, their main, you know, rail stop or bus stop or whatever by subsidizing that shared ride. You can increase the amount of people who are riding on that rail. You can actually then reduce the amount of stops on that rail line. So you, you get more people using the rail system and the rail system moves faster because it doesn't have as many stops. So you're still getting all those positive externalities of mass transit and you're getting it at a lower cost with higher utilization. And so for cities that don't have a big mass transit option at the moment, I think that is kind of the, the symbiotic future that we have, you know, 10 years down the line. In just 10 years, mass transit could be this perfect harmony of public and private transportation. Of course, in Dar es Salaam, DART was the solution. DART, in just a few years, transformed a city once clogged with traffic. It's one of the few public transit systems in the world that's fast, comprehensive, and available to all. In 2018, Dar es Salaam even won the ITDP Sustainable Transit Award, cementing it as a model for the future of public transit in Africa. I dream of the day that cities like Nairobi, Kampala, Lusaka are going to have very nice, safe walkways and uh, very nice public transport systems and beautiful greenways, boulevards, the same as uh, the ones we see in developed countries. I believe it's, if it can happen in Dar es Salaam, it can happen in Nairobi, it can happen in Kampala, it can happen in all African cities. And while a bus rapid transit system might not work everywhere, there are solutions that can work in every city. The backbone of transit might be a public bus or a subway system or even a car. But in the future, we'll be able to choose how we want to enhance that base. Cars are not the American dream anymore as they used to be. In fact, cars will be owned by, say, a neighborhood or a community or a school or, or even the city. Um, and people will pay for minutes of trips like we pay for minutes of talking time on our phone plans now. If we want to decongest our city streets, we need to encourage and develop other modes. So it could be bikes, scooters, or whatever comes next. But whatever it is, the future is access to alternative modes of transportation. Whether people are sitting in their shared autonomous cars, hopping on an e-bike or e-scooter, or zooming around on another hybrid solution, cities will be in charge of creating their own transit systems that work for them. Instead of relying on ideas about what the future of public transit should look like, the future of transportation is about redefining public transit as we know it. Cities shouldn't sit back and try to predict the future. They have to write the transit future that they want. Thanks for listening to the Morgan Stanley Ideas podcast. You can listen to previous episodes at morganstanley.com slash ideas. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Ashley Miltite. See you next time. <laughs>